right. So you're a music artist with plans to take over the world, huh? Yeah, duh. That's why I'm here. Well, you've come to the right place. Let's go. Welcome to the I Am Northbound podcast. Podcast. Your guide to dominating the new music industry. What's up, y'all? How you doing? How are you today, my world-changing music artist friend? Hope you are doing fantastic. If you're listening closely, you will be hearing that I still sound like I'm a bit sick. Do you remember last episode when I said, I'm either getting sick or I have a very mild cold? Well, it turns out I was getting sick. (laughs) It's kind of like I was just minding my own business and uh, this SWAT team just crashed through my window, like, you know, like swinging on the ropes and just like took me down. Because I don't get sick that often. But man, that knocked me around and I still feel sick now, but I'm getting much better than I was. But anyway, ranting aside, how are you doing? How's everything in your world? Is everything great? Hope it is. As usual, I'll give you time now to respond. Not too long though, because if it's silent for too long, you probably think the podcast broke and you'll already be getting your phone out or whatever to be checking why it paused. Anyway, you don't come here to hear me talk about nothing. <laughs> we talk about the music industry and your music career. Hope it's all going fantastic. There have been a few changes around here. I seem to be saying that every second or third episode. Truth be told, I do quite a bit. Like, I'm always working on things. I never just have one thing going at once. I'm kind of like in just my business life as in my work life. I've got so many things going. You see a lot of it publicly. You see like the podcast, you'll see like, uh, you know, the Instagram posts and, you know, hear about me working on listen pages, etc. But there is so much more going on behind the scenes. Like I'm working on a couple of projects that I haven't even mentioned yet. I'm always just trying to be taking it to the next level and providing you with more content you know, then you'll find anywhere else, especially for free, right? Because I mean, I want to be the guy who gives the most music industry advice away for free, um, you know, without trying to like upsell you to like a thousand dollar course program or something. Anyway, even though I've got all this great stuff on the horizon, I, I want to tell you about it. So, that's what sucks is that I, I start talking about it and I'm like, no, nah, I'll just tell him. I'll tell him early. I'll tell <laughs> but I can't. I really can't say anything at the moment. But we've got some... I mean, potentially if this one actually comes off, uh, this project, if you, you know, I have ideas and some of them don't look like they'll end up being as good as I want them to be. And I don't want to bring anything out if it's like only half good. So, I just normally not do it at all. But if this one comes off, it will easily be the coolest thing I've ever brought out. And I know that you will be like, you know, when people talk about stuff and you're like, oh, I'll be interested in that when it comes out. When I mention this, you'll want it immediately. It's just that cool, right? I can't wait to tell you about it, but I I mean, such a tease, right? Telling you about it, but not telling you about it. Uh, But anyway, uh, so as much as I have more and more things going on and like we're working on really cool stuff, I only have a certain amount of time in the day. And there's little things here and there that I felt were just uh, taking up too much of my time. Do you remember in the last week's episode, I talked about uh, the 80-20 rule a little bit. I touched on that for like a second, but talking about how you need to audit your time and then kind of like reassess and then work on the stuff that matters. Um, You should go check that episode out if you haven't, because it was really, really cool. We talked about a whole bunch of other stuff too. But uh, that was a really good point about taking, uh, finding out, you know, there's uh, the, the Pareto principle, which is saying that uh, 20% of what you do is responsible for 80% of the results. So try to find what that 20% is and just focus on that. Uh, it's sort of what I've done this week. It wasn't really intentional. Maybe that just was on my mind because of the last week's episode. But me doing these podcasts does take a lot of work. Like it seems like, oh, uh, you know, he just talks about a few topics and then, you know, probably edits it, puts a video together and then just uploads it. But it ends up taking up pretty much a full day of time from the moment I start recording to the moment that it's actually scheduled and uploaded ready to come out the next week. It takes a long time. 
And uh, part of the reason I think that it was taking so long was because of the fact that I videoed it uh, because, you know, there's so much more work that goes into videoing. You have to set the lighting up. You have to set the angles. You know, the computer is slower to edit video because of, you know, how it is, you know, you could assume, right? So, what I'm doing now is I think I'm going to take it back to the roots a bit and focus more exclusively just on the podcast. So, from now on, I mean, if too many people speak up about it and say, no, we missed the video, then I guess I'll bring it back. But for now, I'm just going to be uh, reverting back to just doing the podcast. If you listen on the podcast, you're not going to notice any different. It's, it's, it's the exact same. But if you're someone who looks for it on video, like on my Instagram, uh, you're going to be noticing that it's going to be a waveform moving on your screen. Uh, but that, you know, my Instagram doesn't get this segment anyway. So <laughs> I, mean, I guess that part's irrelevant. Uh, but other than that, uh, that's why I want to push more people to the podcast. I think I can do more stuff there. Obviously, I've got the I Am Northbound extra stuff coming and then I'll be launching inside the mind of the music industry later this year, hopefully, which is um, going to be the best podcast episodes I can possibly do because I spend weeks working on them. It's not just uh, like, uh, you know, this is more casual of a you know conversational type of thing. Pick a topic and then I'll talk a bit about it. But um, yeah, there's a lot of work that goes into the episodes for the new podcast, but I can't wait to bring that up also. But there's a little bit of an insight into how uh, how much I've got going on at the moment. And uh, yeah, so anyway, there's a new change is that the podcast is going to be focusing on that specifically. But yeah, as I said, if you've been a podcast listener for ages, you won't notice any difference, but I really want to grow this. I had originally started recording videos because I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll try to grow YouTube as well. But no, I think I'm just going to focus on um, the podcast specifically and then passively it'll go on Instagram and that type of thing too. But you are where my priority is focused at because I want people to listen to this and I love that you are. So, I mean, just little things that you've been doing like leaving reviews and sharing these episodes out to your friends. That that little act of kindness goes so much further than you may think. So, thank you so much for that. Um, Really, you mean the world to me. And I thank you so much from the bottom of my heart that you check in each week to listen to these episodes. So, without further ado, I mean, here I am ironically talking about the fact that I'm so thankful for you being here. And and you're like, yeah, I'm here to hear about the music industry, Jason. So, get to it, right? So, the more I thank you, ironically, the less, uh, (laughs) the more thanking I'll have to do to win you back. Anyway, hope you enjoyed this episode. We've got a whole bunch of cool stuff to talk about. I am so keen to get into this episode because one of the main topics we're talking about today is the song by Baby No Money and Y2K, the La 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 song that came out earlier this year. Um, just the guerrilla marketing techniques that they uh, have implemented to make that song a hit because they weren't very big before this song came out. So, I mean, this is really cool from, uh, you know, to talk to you wherever you're at in your music journey. Uh, these guys weren't already big and this is a follow-up single. This is, they they put so much work into growing this single. It's absolutely crazy. And uh, yeah, I know you're absolutely going to love it. Uh, saying guerrilla marketing though, do, when I was a kid, I actually, when I first heard that, thought that like guerrilla marketing was something to do with like gorillas the the uh the animal i think it was because i was i heard gorilla warfare and i just imagined as you probably imagine right now like if your brain's like mine like if the simpsons were to represent that it would be like a gorilla with like the rambo headband on and like a the bullets strapped over their shoulders and like the big machine gun i think that's what i imagined and i was pretty disappointed to find out it was just like uh you know the sad thing that it really is. But anyway, guerrilla marketing is good, at least. You know, guerrilla warfare, not so good. Anyway, let's get into this episode. 
So if you've followed me for any amount of time now, you know that I constantly like to push the idea of the anti-label, which is the the mindset that you don't need a record label to actually make anything happen in your day-to-day as a music artist. Now, sometimes when I say that, some people will challenge me and say, no, you do need a record label. And like, you know, they are, there isn't the reason for them. It's not like if they disappeared off the earth, no one would notice. And yeah, I agree with that. I'm not saying that record labels shouldn't exist. I'm saying that you don't need a record record label. You might one day require a record label if that can be separated from the word need. You know what I mean? Like you might decide that you that you would like to work with a record label. There's a better way to put it. But realistically, you don't need a record label to take your next step forward. The reason I say this is because uh, I don't know if you know this, but for about 10 years of my life, I operated and uh, was the main engineer, producer, whatever. I had my own recording studio. So, you know, I worked with hundreds of bands over those 10 years and I saw everything from 15-year-old young, uh, you know, music artists that are trying to take their first step in their music journey to veterans that have been around for years. Uh, I worked with people who were unsigned, people who were signed to independent. I've worked with people who are trying to get signed to majors. I never recorded anyone signed to a major, of course, because they go to bigger studios than my little boutique one that I had. But yeah, I've pretty much worked uh, with music artists that were uh, considering that, you know, they might need a record label, right? Because I understand the attraction. You write some music. You come up with some really good songs that you think best represent you as an artist that you really want to get out there to the world and you're proud of, right? So then you go into the studio and you record something to make it into exactly what you want it to become. But then there seems to be this big divide to the next step. It's like this big ravine you have to jump over, which is promotion. So you think to yourself, like, how on earth am I going to get this out to people? Like, I don't know. And I guess it's kind of like a natural reaction, you know, to look to someone who's already done it and then ask them, right? That's just the normal thing to do. So what do you do? You look for the people who have the biggest amount of pull and are responsible for making music artists' dreams come true, dreams that are very similar to the ones that you have, and you try to approach them. Obviously, that's a record label. Well, this is the thing. Record labels might have been the answer like that to that question, you know, 10 years ago, but it's not 10 years ago. And I seem to find that whenever I get into a discussion, let's put it that way, because I feel like some people, when they leave uh, heated comments on my profile every now and then. I mean, I would, I'm surprised I don't get them more often because I do say things that kind of go against people's conventional thinking. But uh, when I do get them, it's usually someone who's thinking the old way and is fighting for the old industry. And I, you know, I feel and I sympathize for them because I used to be like that. I remember I was in the studio one night with my band uh, talking about how, you know, it was a meeting or something. I think we met up to talk about how we were going to approach promoting our album. And one of uh, the band members put up on the computer, like the film clip from this band who had never played a show before and just did online marketing and they had like thousands and thousands of fans and all of us were like well that's never gonna last like that's so paper thin like you've got to build your fan base the authentic way Uh, and you know we were right and but they were right too you have to build it authentically but you can do it online and that band went on to play to a lot of people at their very first run of shows meanwhile you know bands like us had to build from scratch so you can't get stuck in the old way of thinking or else I'd be just a bitter old you know bitter old music dude who's sitting back going, you know, it's not like how it used to be back in my day. So, it's the same thing. You have to adapt and the, the new music industry is here and you have to understand that you don't need to rely on record labels like you may think, right? So, when I ran my studio, I'd listen to these bands talking. I'd be inside working on stuff or we'd be on a lunch break or whatever, but I'd overhear the conversations of the bands and I'd listen to them speak and I'd listen to how they talk about their band and how they want to go about promoting themselves uh, or promoting that release that they want to move forward. It was so interesting to hear how many people people kept thinking that their next step was to spam their record.
recordings to record labels and hope that one of them sign them. It's just not like that. A lot of other music artists would sit back and think that a record label will somehow just simply stumble across their music one day and in like some form of miraculous and serendipitous occurrence and just be so blown away that, you know, the label wants to drop everything and make every single one of the music artist dreams come true. But that just doesn't happen. You know, (laughs) that really doesn't happen. It's a new industry. It's a total new industry and labels want to see the music artists have the potential to survive on their own before they come in and just water that garden, if that makes sense. They don't want to have to grow something from scratch. They want to find something with momentum and uh, move forward with that. Uh, See, that's the catch when it comes to this type of thing. Uh, Labels want to see you make like, you know, build momentum first before they will actually consider signing you. But once you've actually built momentum, you might decide that you don't need to sign away over 80% of your earnings to record labels so that they can help you a little bit. You might find that by that point that you're your own label and you've just got everything sorted, right? You might not need them at that point, but that decision will ultimately be up to you. But Essentially, the entire market is oversaturated by music artists that are all fighting for the same attention that you are, right? But technology, you know, it's becoming more affordable and more accessible and labels are becoming less and less powerful for that reason because we don't need $100,000 advances to go into recording studios across the other side of the world to record these crazy albums because you've got people that are making recordings in their bedroom that are, you know, streaming number one on Spotify. Like it's, it's, it's crazy. So, uh, labels aren't as necessary as they used to be. However, they do have a lot of people power behind them. Well, some of them do, but that's only kind of like, uh, a decision that you'll make down the track. For now, you should know that you don't need a record label. Instead of relying on a pre-built team that have their own intentions and their own, uh, interests and their own ideas that are, you know, outside of your creative vision, you can focus more on building your own team that allows you to scale at your own rate. You can stay in control of your overall direction and you can retain the money that you earn, right? Because labels know, trust me, they are very aware of how the industry has changed. Yeah. So, they they become desperate when they start to try to uh, put their new contracts out to artists, right? Uh, Some deals are upwards of like, as I said before, like an 80-20 split and that's with the label taking 80%, right? So, you're just left with scraps. So, it's kind of crazy. Labels can kind of suffocate artists and that's why they might only sign them to a couple album deal anyway. But just don't think that all your um, issues will go away if a label signs you. I mean, if I was a music artist still doing it, I wouldn't think that if I got a phone call one day from a label that said, hey, you know, we should organize a meeting. We'd love to chat about working together. I wouldn't immediately assume that that was like a breakthrough and I had made it. It would be like, oh, man. I don't, I don't want this contract because it's like <laughs> pretty much guarantee that you're not going to get the contract you want. And no matter how good your music is, labels need to uh, go about things a certain way to kind of put food on their own table, so to speak. So essentially when it comes down to us who survive in the new music industry, you need to be your own label, okay? It allows you to stay in control of one of the most important things when it comes down to it. The two things that matter to you more than ever as a music artist aside from your creative vision, of course, and that's a whole nother point and a whole nother topic, how labels can affect that. But being your own record label allows you to stay in control of your future and the direction you move. Now, the best thing about this is that being your own record label is not a difficult thing to do in this day and age. The truth be told, we've never actually lived in a better time to get music heard. It's not hard. It's hard if you try to do things the old way, but if you understand the power of what the internet has to offer you, and also alongside understanding what we talked about last week was that this is a marathon, not a sprint, so don't expect anything overnight, you'll see the almost limitless power that can be harnessed to bring essentially anything you've ever wanted if you stay at it and understand exactly you know, what the climate is of this current day and age. So you don't need a record label, you just need to put the work in. So the question is, 
Are you going to spend your life waiting for a weakened record label to come and take what is rightfully yours? Or are you ready to make big things happen for your music? I want you to think about that this week. So I am sure that you have uh, probably already heard La 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 by Baby No Money and Y2K, but are you aware of how genius their marketing approach behind it was? So these are two guys that, I mean, I've done a bit of research into it and I'll be talking about that in this segment, but like, I don't know a ton about them as people. Uh, anyway, the two guys that after, as far as I know, they weren't you know massive before they released this track. It was because of the way they launched this track that kind of like broke them into popularity. I read that they wrote this song on like a random night in, you know, Y2K studio and uh, they kind of just threw it together then realized that they had a hit and were like, well, we have to get it to the world, right? Like, how do we get people to listen to this? I think it's such a big topic that I want to break it into two segments. In this segment, I want to talk about how they did it. But in the next segment, I want to talk about how you can do it for your music and make sure that you actually have the right mindset for when you release music to know exactly what is required from you to do it. Because ultimately, when it comes down to it, music, when you create a product like music, it should be considered just like business. You can't expect to put all your time and effort into creating a product and then just assume it will sell itself. They say in business, it's 20% product creation and 80% marketing that makes up success. So realistically, in all the time it's taken you to make your music, you know, what's that? Times that by four. And that's exactly the amount of time you should be putting into the marketing of it to try to get it to the level you want it to get to. So anyway, this article comes from, I don't even know. I took the front page off the PDF. Uh, I think it's from Rolling Stone, right? So it says here that La 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 is the latest in a line of weird, unusual, atypical songs that have had explosive digital growth in the last six months, says Mark Adams, program director for KYLD in San Francisco, a top 40 station that is already playing the single. This article is a little old now. It's a couple of months old. Uh, it's obviously a hit now, right? There's a thread of records like this one after another, he says. Little Nas X with Old Town Road and of course MJ with Uno and Blanco Brown with The Get Up. Don't know that last one, so I probably mispronounced that. This seems to be the current climate of music in this day and age. It's not about writing a good song, then going to a record label and saying, hey, can you promote this? You know, it's about writing a good song, showing the initiative and the motivation to get people listening, and then labels come to you. And this is exactly what these guys did. Now, Disclaimer, do I agree with everything they did in their marketing? No. Do I think that some marketing tactics they used are far more effective than other ones were? Yes, absolutely. But do I appreciate the hustle to go out and put all this effort into marketing their track? Yes, more so than I care about how uh, much I disagree with some of the marketing tactics, if that makes sense. So Y2K, the producer of the track, says that uh, we tackled a lot of non-traditional markets in a very aggressive way, which is an understatement. Yeah. Like if I was saying to you right now, how would you go about promoting your music? How are you, how would you go about releasing your new song? How would you, how would you go about getting people to listen? You probably think, um, you know, I go on Instagram, I'll post about it. I'll like leave comments. I'll like talk to other people. I might talk to other artists to get them to shout it out. But these guys thought so far outside the box that they found a whole new way to promote music that is like, uh, you know, just super interesting. Now, obviously, the ones that worked for them are not these weird ways, but I mean, I guess the strange thinking kind of helped a bit. So the song, as you probably know, starts with that, uh, did I really just forget that melody? And then, uh, you know, you hear Y2K in the background yelling out, no, this is how it goes. And then the song comes in. And that was actually like a uh, mistake in the recording process. They didn't set that up. And instead of discarding that track, they actually decided to put it at the front of the song to make it a recognizable part of the of the recording, right? 
And uh, that may seem like just a bit of fun, but that is like super important what they did because you need to grab attention immediately. And that does because it's different and it's not what people expect. And it doesn't just start with a song. It starts with him like already pre-framing the rest of the track. So you think about like rap songs where it starts and, you know, they they pre-frame the track with they're like, yeah, here's another one, you know, and they talk about how great they are and coming at you and make all these noises. It gets everyone pumped up for the track. Uh, but these guys start it with the same form of like self-deprecating humor that the song kind of has a vibe of for the rest of the track anyway. So it like immediately gets people's attention of like, oh, did, did I forget that melody? And it kind of sets the, um, the, the foundation that you're not going to forget the melody sort of thing because it's like, it's just that catchy. So it's pretty cool. So thinking about that type of approach, that's so much, that does so much more for their song than maybe they realized when they first decided to put it at the front they probably just thought it's a bit funny but that would be what makes someone keep listening because i mean if you're trying to get someone to listen to your music and it starts just like every other song it might sound similar to just like every other song too uh people are going to become you know uninterested in it and move on but if you start with something like that that's out of the ordinary and the song hasn't started yet and it's a bit funny and it kind of like sets up the song too i mean that's what's made people give it a go and um, that's what's made people listen to it right and that's what's interesting when the song comes in from that point you're already like oh this is cool because that intro built it up so think like that when you're creating your songs don't obviously fabricate something like that but if your song doesn't demand attention immediately people are going to forget about it and it's the same thing with um they did a study a few years ago i mean this is ages ago now but I remember learning forever ago that it was some percentage of all hits in like the top 20 or something like that. It was like in the high 90s. It was crazy. They get to the vocals within the first five seconds of the track. And something like this uh, has, has kind of shown that that is still very relevant. It doesn't need to be the chorus. It doesn't need to be like singing or anything like that. But getting to some form of vocal within the first like, you know, few seconds is super important if you want to capture people's attention. So keep that in mind. The article says, plenty of would-be hits wither and die without the right exposure. To ensure that La 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 got the consideration it deserved, Y2K, Baby No Money, and Chavez, who is uh, one of their managers, drew up a detailed rollout plan. The article says, they had an Excel spreadsheet of potential viral marketing ideas. Uh, that is, uh, that's now, Y2K's manager said that. So the video app TikTok provided an early boost. They had a lot of friends who had big TikTok followings or had access to them. So with a lot of kids in the age of self-promotion and marketing on the internet, they said that they collected a lot of relationships. And then they, uh, the article says here that it's like going to Dave and Buster's. You're getting all these tickets and then you cash them in for the big one. So using TikTok for like influencer marketing isn't exactly a new strategy, but I genuinely think that was probably one of the most effective marketing strategies they did. Uh, I agree with that one. I think that's really cool. If you can use influencers to kind of um, build around your track, you're going to see viral exposure from that. Thanks to their web of friends, BB No Money boasts that people were spray painting their car, La 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 June 7. We had the song viral before it even came out. Isn't that crazy? So because of how much work they put into the lead up to the song actually coming out, they were able to get people so keen that they were like spray painting their cars, which is, <laughs> which is so silly. But that would be harder to do if you didn't know the influences on TikTok. 
But obviously, if the influencers say that this song's going to be great, other people want to get behind it because it adds to the craziness of it. We're going to talk into the next segment about, you know, positioning yourself off social leverage. And uh, that's exactly what TikTok's built on. That's the formula to success on that platform for sure. But this is where things get interesting. It wasn't just about using TikTok, which people have done before. I've never heard of this particular marketing strategy before. Can't say it would be entirely relevant. And I think it's just more... Uh, so a good uh, little talking point for online publications or in interviews because it is so strange, but it definitely is you know outside of the box thinking to say the least. That's <laughs> a really cool strategy. So it says here that Y2K, Baby No Money, and Chavez also paid for subscriptions to Tinder Plus. <laughs> that's is that such a strange thing? You'd be like, hey, where are you thinking of promoting this new song? Oh, let's buy premium subscriptions to Tinder. So they say here that Tinder Plus has two advantages for horny wealthy people. So they obviously knew that our clientele and demographic to think that Tinder was the viable platform for them. So they say that first you can remotely tap into any city, Y2K explains. Then second, you can buy extra super likes, Baby No Money says. The super like increases the chance of you getting a match by probably 50%. For Y2K and Baby No Money, this means they could get more matches in more cities, expanding the pool of people to send their song. We would spam La 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 to all our matches, Y2K says. It was definitely obnoxious. Now, that's one of the ones I don't agree with. I don't think messaging people completely cold saying, hey, listen to my song is an entirely valid strategy or is wanted by <laughs> wanted by many people. And it's just harassment. And I don't think it's very effective. But as I said, it's a cool talking point, just as this next one is. It also says here in the article that they hired call centers to push their track. So they did research on the listener base for their audience and used analytics uh, from you know a bunch of different websites and then took that information and turned it into a telemarketing campaign. And they say here that everyone hates telemarketers, but everyone still answers. We got good results back from them. I don't know. I want to see those results. I don't entirely believe that cold calling people like on the phone to say, hey, listen to a new song, which is not something they can really do immediately on the phone. Um, yeah, I, I can't say it's going to be too relevant, but I think it's a cool talking point and allowed them to you know, get interviewed by press because of the crazy marketing strategies they use to grow the song. They say here that they also uh, pounded the pavement hiring random people to go door to door with a song on a USB and just give it away. They also said that they put ads on Craigslist and eBay trying to pattern interrupt people. Like if you're on eBay and you see an ad for a song, it's just different. So people might want to click on it. So they said, we have no way of gauging if it worked, but they were just trying everything. As I said, I appreciate the thinking of getting their song heard and how much effort they put into it. And I highly encourage that. But that's not it. They also kind of took advantage of fake news to get their song big too. So they made up a bunch of fake stories on how they met. They say here that we made a bunch of stories on how we met each other to get publications to post, uh, you know, to make it more interesting. It says here that one story said that they met at an Ariana Grande meet and greet line and another said that uh, Baby No Money was Y2K's Postmates delivery driver. So they thought it was fun to post different stories from different blogs that were conflicting and have them all in our pages at the same time. And of course, that adds shareability. It makes them look funny, like blah, blah, blah. How boring would it be if it was just the same origin story in every interview, but now they say different funny ones and then people start to look forward to their latest promotion just to see what their new origin story is going to be. So, you know, it's just a really cool way of taking advantage of something that is otherwise fairly boring. So be thinking to yourself, how can I take advantage of things that, you know, are otherwise just going to be assumably uninteresting? So it says here, when it really started moving around June 8th or 19th, only 2% of their streams were coming from Spotify editorial playlists. Almost everyone listening were fans that were finding it on their own. That's what's indicative of a hit. 
I feel like people don't understand that enough. They think that getting on a Spotify playlist is just going to be the be all and end all that is going to, uh, you know, just make them blow up massively overnight. But truth be told, a lot of the streams don't come from the editorial playlist. Like you've really got to be putting in the effort elsewhere to make uh, bigger things happen for your music in that regard too. So you should be thinking to yourself all the time, like, how do I go about getting my music heard? How can I think outside the box and bring new marketing strategies in that are actually going to result in people stopping doing what they're actually doing and paying attention to what you want them to pay attention to? Ah, it's Jason here. So it turns out that these topics were far, far much, uh, had far more to them than I originally anticipated, uh, which meant that I ran over time. And it means that I can't get the third segment into this episode. But anyway, just letting you know that there is an I Am Northbound extra episode coming in the next couple of days. And I am so excited for you to hear it. It's going to be showing you everything you need to know to engineer your own viral challenge on something like TikTok. I've been studying it for a while now and I see the formula and I know how music artists could be using it to their advantage, which sounds like a simple thing. But for real, this is the exact same thing that La 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 did to gain millions and millions of streams. So this formula is crazy. If you implement it for your music, you could potentially reach whatever music goals you have. This could catapult you to wherever you want to be. So keep your eye out for it because this information is so important. And I know that you would find it so hard to find this information anywhere else. I know it kind of sucks to have to wait a few days for that episode. I mean, if you're hoping that it was going to be in this one, but doing it this way means I don't have to try to trim down, you know, the, the content. So keep your eye out for that. And I'll see you in the I Am Northbound Extra. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the I Am Northbound podcast. You made it all the way to the end. I hope you loved it. Why not check out another episode? I'm sure you can find one right below wherever you found this one. But before you do, make sure you subscribe if you haven't already. And it would mean the world to me if you could either leave a rating and a review for this podcast or share it out to your followers. That act of kindness goes so much further than you may think. It helps me help more music change the world. 